Well, good morning, everyone, and happy birthday. Thank you for celebrating with us. It was about uh, two weeks ago, and I was swimming at Aquanation. It was over the school holidays, and I was just doing my normal laps, and I noticed that the diving club had joined, and they were going through their diving routines, and they were particularly good. Lots of little kids doing flips and spins and on all the different boards. Now, I got to the section where I was doing kickboard laps, which is pretty boring, so it was sort of nice to have a distraction. So as I'm kickboarding along, I'm keeping an eye on these divers and what incredible things they were doing. Well, there was a girl who was probably about 16. I'd already seen her do a spectacular dive, but I noticed her on this particular dive. She um, was obviously a good diver. She had incredible muscles, her body looked like a professional diver. But she went up to the edge of the diving board, it wasn't one of those bouncy ones, but it was that solid board. And it wasn't the 10 metre one, not the highest one if you've been to Aquanation, but the next one, I think it's about five metres. So it's pretty high. And she stood on the edge of the board, she'd wiped herself down with the towel about twice, I, could, I thought, oh, she's nervous, she's taking a long time to get ready. And she stood on the edge of the board, And she put her hands up like this as if she was about to dive. But as I was kickboarding along, I was going, she she doesn't quite look that confident because she was a little bit crooked. She sort of had one hand strong and the other one wasn't quite there. And, you know, she'd stand there for a while and, you know, I've kickboard to the end and going backwards, trying to keep an eye on what was happening, going, I don't want to miss it. You know, I've waited so long. Twelve laps later... She was still on the edge like this, just trying to get it, trying to do it, trying to jump off that board. Now, a few of us had noticed, a few of us swimmers who were probably a bit bored, so thought there was something more interesting to watch, and we had a bit of a chat. Do you reckon she'll get it? I wonder what's stopping her from jumping off the board. I wonder what's going on there. Well, I'd run out of time. I had an appointment to go to. I had to get out of the pool, have a shower and keep going on with life. And I said to the poolie as I got out, can you keep an eye on that diver? I'd love to know if she ever does it. Come out of the shower. The poolie's changed shifts and can't find him. So I don't know if she ever jumped off that board and ever did that spectacular dive she was trying to do. But it made me think a little bit about following Jesus. Because sometimes when people choose to follow Jesus, I think sometimes it's like standing on the end of a really high diving board and making a decision and maybe knowing I'm ready to follow Jesus or maybe going, I don't know, I've got a few doubts, I've got a few worries, I've got a few concerns. And when I think about following Jesus, you can follow on your Bible app if you'd like to. I asked myself, what is it that prevents people from following Jesus? What is it that prevents people from going up and jumping off immediately? And I think if, if I, I could put it into two categories. One, we feel like maybe Jesus has failed me. Or two, I might feel like I failed Jesus. Jesus failed me goes a little bit like this. You know what? There was a time when I called out to God... I really needed God to turn up, and he didn't. 
Jesus failed me. He, he didn't turn up like he said he would. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I really thought God was going to show up. But he didn't. So you know what? I'm, I'm not sure that God is really out there or really cares about me. The other one is the feeling of I've failed Jesus. You know what? I don't think Jesus wants me on his team. If you knew what I've done or what happened to me or how I messed up, I didn't mean to, but, you know, I, I tried. I don't think Jesus wants me on, my, on his team anymore. I'm not good enough. I'm not sort of the Jesus quality sort of person. I don't think he really wants me on his team. I love the story of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, and I reckon he was one of these people that was sort of all or nothing, really enthusiastic, really big-mouthed, probably did things without thinking clearly, spoke up without thinking clearly. And we have a situation where Jesus has had these guys following him for about two years. Sometimes they got it, sometimes they didn't, sometimes they followed him well and other times they followed him terribly. And Jesus would say, do you guys get this? Do you even believe in me? Well, Jesus is about to die. He's about to go to the cross and die. And he's trying to tell his followers of what's coming up for them. And he says to them, this is what's going to happen. (coughs) On the way, Jesus told them, tonight, all of you are going to desert me. And Peter answers, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Not me. Now, these guys, they they might, Jesus, they might give up on you, but not me. I'm going to hang in there. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Never. And all the other disciples felt the same. So Peter wasn't just outspoken about his passion for following Jesus, but he says, Jesus, I'm better than everybody else. They might fail, but not me. The story goes on that Jesus is arrested, crucified, killed on a Roman cross. Three days later, he rises from the dead, as he promised, and appears to the disciples. He's reappeared to them twice to let them know that he's alive and things happen just as he had told them. But we see, as Jesus is arrested and taken to the cross, Peter follows him along. And the story tells us that he follows Jesus to try and keep an eye on what's going on. And he somehow gets himself into a courtyard where Jesus is being trialled, sort of next door, but in very close proximity. And, G- and Peter is standing around this fire, just keeping themselves warm at night. And someone says this to Peter. Hey, Peter, you are one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. I don't know what you're talking about, Peter says. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl notices him and says... This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath, I do not even know the man, he said. Twice he denies Jesus. 
A little later, some other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. I don't know Jesus. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind, and before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter went away, weeping bitterly. So here we have this confident man saying, Jesus, I will follow you whatever it costs me. But yet, in the fear of the moment, denies Jesus three times. I don't know about you, but sometimes we fail ourselves, don't we? We have expectations or we have things that we want to be or things that we want to do, but we blow it. What I love about Jesus is that he confronts those situations when we've really blown it. He doesn't just forget it. He doesn't just sweep it under the carpet. He doesn't ignore the elephant in the, in the room. He goes directly to it. And here we have Peter... After Jesus has died, being crucified, comes back to life again, appears twice. Here we have Peter reappears again. And guess what? Peter's gone fishing. Now, Peter was always a fisherman until he chose to follow Jesus and until Jesus gave him other work to do. And part of me wonders if Peter went, I've sort of blown it with the Jesus thing. I'm going to go back to what I do well. I'm going to go back to fishing. So off he goes with his six other friends and they go fishing like he always had. And it talks about them fishing overnight. I think we sometimes do that when we don't do so well with something. We go back to what we know, what we're familiar with. So we find Peter fishing. The only problem is Peter went fishing this night and caught nothing. He was already feeling lousy. Now he goes back to what he thinks he knows and he's really good at. And he catches nothing. And they're coming in after a night's fishing. And someone on the shore calls out to them and says, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? Now, I don't know any fishermen who particularly like getting advice on how to fish, (laughs) particularly when you're not a fisherman and you're standing on the shore. I reckon Peter would have felt like yelling out, What do you know? Do you really think throwing my net on the other side of the boat is going to make any difference? Like, really? I'm the fisherman. I've been fishing all night. The daylight's coming up. If I didn't catch them at night, I'm hardly going to catch them in the morning. But there was something about this guy on the shore that said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Maybe he had some sort of authority that they did it. And they get this incredible catch, incredible catch. And suddenly they realise it's Jesus. It was Jesus on the shore that said, throw the net over, catch some fish. Well, Peter comes into shore and he's got unfinished business with Jesus. And I love the fact that there's a little bit of a parallel with this story Peter denies Jesus three times while warming himself around a fire. Peter comes into shore and there's Jesus cooking on a little fire on the beach. And this is what Jesus says to Peter. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know all about me. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It was almost in this familiar place, sitting around the coals of a fire, that Jesus wanted to confront what Peter had done. It was almost like he wanted to undo those three denials where Peter had messed up. Jesus wanted to give him a chance to affirm again his love for Jesus and his desire to follow him. Almost undo what was wrong. The great thing about Jesus, he takes us from our point of need, our point of failure, and he can undo it. He can accept us in those places of failure, reaffirm us and send us back on our way again. You see... Jesus was saying to Peter, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, you goofed up. I I tried to warn you, I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. Yeah, you goofed up. You messed up. But you know what? I know you love me. I know you want to follow me. Let's get back on track again. I want you to feed my sheep. Now, feeding my sheep might sound like a bit of a funny thing to say. Jesus was really saying to Peter, I want you to follow me and you know what? I want you to look after other people who are following me. I want you to look after others who are on the same follow journey. One thing I noticed when this diver was standing here trying to do her dive, the coach started off on the other side of the pool. After my 12 kickboard laps and she was still standing there, the coach had come right across right under the diving board, climbed up to the closest diving board he could and was leaning over the diving board rail, looking up to her and coaching her. I couldn't hear what he said. He wasn't yelling or shrieking at her. But it was almost as as if he'd come up to her and was saying, you can do it. We practised it next door on the beanbags. You did the triple flip. You know what to do. Don't worry about that. You can do it. He was this coach underneath her, encouraging her along. It was as if Jesus was saying to Peter, that's what I need you to do. I need you to be a coach. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to look after my church. I need you to be a coach. Because you know what? Following Jesus isn't easy. There's times you need someone else who's cheering you on, someone else who's saying to you, you can do it. Someone who can say, yes, you messed up big time, but let's keep going. You can do it again. Jesus was saying to Peter, look after my church. Jesus called the church his bride. And I don't know if you've been to a wedding recently, but if you go to a wedding and you see a couple get married and a husband's love for his new bride, he would do anything. That beautiful, precious, fresh love and that adoration of a bride. 
Jesus says, my church is like that. I want you to adore my community, my church, my people. I want you to look after them like a husband looks after his bride. I want you to coach and encourage. And as we think of our 14th birthday today, I think about our church community and go, we've only got here because there's been people who've cheered us on. There have been people who've said, you can do it. When you feel like giving up and it's too hard and I don't want to do it anymore and this ugh, this is hard, there's been people who've said, come on, I'll help you. I'll do it with you. It's as if we need a coach in our own lives and we need to coach someone else. We need to be coached and we need to coach someone else. Is there someone who is encouraging us and is there someone that we're encouraging who might be a little bit further behind us in their, in their journey that we can take along and nurture and encourage and support and mentor? Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Now you'd think Peter had had enough. He's sitting around this fire with Jesus. Jesus sorts out the denials, puts him back on track and says, I know you love me. And by the way, when you're following me, can you look after my church community? Can you look after other people who are following me? Then Jesus adds this. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. A little bit strange. Jesus said this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus says to him, follow me. Jesus was saying to Peter, it's going to cost you your life to follow me. You will be taken places that you don't want to go. You will lose your life to follow me. Now, we are not likely to lose our lives to follow Jesus here in Australia, but there's plenty of people in other countries that it is costing their lives to be a follower of Jesus. It's a skinny road <coughs> to follow Jesus. It's not easy. It's hard. And at times it's a harder choice to follow Jesus than to go with the flow. Sometimes it is much more difficult it's a skinny road to follow Jesus. I don't know if you heard the interview last week with um, Jen and Mike when they were talking about how God had led them to Fiji to work and that they'd now come back to Australia without a home, a car, place to live, a job, all of that. And I don't know if you sat there and you felt a little bit uncomfortable about that and went, oh my goodness, I'm glad God didn't send me there. I know when I was young growing up, I always thought God was going to send me to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. He's going to send me off to be a missionary in a weird place and it would be terrible and I just wouldn't cope. Sometimes we think about the places that God will send us or the things he'll make us do if we choose to follow Jesus. If we felt a bit uncomfortable last week about hearing Mike and Jen's story, that's okay because you know what? God didn't tap us on the shoulder and tell us to go to Fiji. So we should feel uncomfortable. That wasn't our calling. That was their calling. But you know what? God does tap us on the shoulder and he might say to us, don't follow that relationship. I don't want you going there. God might tap us on the shoulder and say, actually, I want you to stay in that job 
I've got things for you to do in that place. Don't go looking for something else. God might tap you on the shoulder and actually say, I've got something else for you. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to go there? God might tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to be a friend to that kid at school that nobody else is taking the time for. I want you to make a difference. God has an amazing way of tapping us on the shoulder in really different ways. I remember 16 years ago, I was sitting on the bank of Lake Eildon and we'd taken out my dad's little sailboat to see if it would still sail. And Troy was out in this little boat. It was only really a one-man boat, one and a kid. Troy was out in the boat with Jacob and I think I had Bronte who was still a baby just with me sitting on the banks. And there was about four little boats sailing around Eildon. And as I was sitting there just watching the scene, I got a tap on my shoulder and it was a God tap. And I knew it was a God tap. It wasn't a voice. It was a thought that went through my head. And I knew it was God because it wasn't my thinking. And God said something to me like this. Bron, I want you to put the sail up of your life because I'm about to change directions. And I went, no! God, no, 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 no. I'm quite happy where I am. Life is good. We're in a good place, we're in a great church, kids are going well, kids are happy, husband happy, me happy, leave me be, I'm quite happy where I am. That was this conversation I had with God on the banks. And God said to me, just put your sail up because I want you to put the sail up so I can blow wind and give you some direction of where I'm going to take you. But there's a change coming. It freaked me out a bit because I went, oh my goodness, is this the deepest darkest jungles of Africa is that where I'm going guess where God was taking us it took two years for God to turn me around I put the sail up but I didn't really want to go that way I wanted to stay that way I think I was holding the rope really tight to keep the sail there it took two years for God to gently 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 turn it around guess where God led us here God said I want you to start a church. I want you to plan a new church. Wow. 14 years later, here we are. What would I have missed if I said, no, God? I ain't putting that sail up because I'm staying right here. I just wonder, what may God be tapping you on the shoulder about to follow me? What may he be saying to you? I've got great plans for you. They're not going to be easy. I never promised life following me would be easy. But gosh, there's some good things in store if you choose to follow me. Maybe there's some heartache. There's some disappointment that you need to sit around a fire with Jesus and have a chat. And say, Jesus, can you help me out with this? Because I'm still holding that grudge when you didn't turn up. Or I felt like you didn't turn up. Pete's going to come up with the band in a moment and they're going to play some music and give us a bit of space just to reflect. Because I sense that this morning as we celebrate 14 years as a church community, maybe God's got some things that he wants to challenge you about or tap you on the shoulder about. Because Jesus says to all of us, follow me. And even though Peter started looking at everybody else and what they were doing, Jesus says, Don't worry about them. 
My tap on their shoulder is different. I want you to follow me. So as you think about that diver on the diving board, I wonder where you're at. Because Jesus says to you, you follow me. Let's take a moment just to reflect. What might that look like for you? Jesus says, you follow me.